When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. And I'm the other host of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabro. Kevin, it's good, my guy? Chilla, man. Procrastinating on packing, knowing that I got to leave tomorrow afternoon, and yet I have done not a damn thing. Oh, bro, you got plenty of time. Don't worry. You got all tomorrow morning to work with. I, I know you said you got a little bit of work to do. You no, know, uh, you got to bring Sabo over to the... Uh, where you bringing Sabo to? To the kennel, because I'm going to be gone for like four or five days. Got you. But, nah. Bro, you're going for a couple of days. Bring a couple of t-shirts. A couple pairs of shorts. Little things like that. You know me better than that. Bro, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Be good to go. Bro. At least, at least it's not cold. Bro. At least it's good to No, nice I'm, not, I'm not worried about that. But the best part is, you know me better than that. For my birthday weekend, we went for two days. I had enough outfits for like six. Yeah, I brought like three outfits. So I'm going but, home. But, but I want at home. I'm going up north. So, but but to be fair, the one thing that Kev has over me is that he is prepared for any sort of social situation. I just kind of wing it, and I just like, all right, this is good enough for me. Depending on where we go, whether it's the club, whether it's the beach, I'll pretty much kind of wear generally the same things. Kevin will literally have his. <clears throat> He'll have his he'll have his outfit ready for the club. He'll have his outfit ready for uh, going to the beach, uh, doing something in between. Like he'll have everything lined up, ready to go. I just kind of wing it. And you best believe my kicks match all of it. I was about to say even the socks probably do too. Hundred percent. I don't play, bro. I hate not being prepared. It just it's the biggest thing on vacation that pisses me off because it there could be a monkey wrench for any vacation, especially when it's like going on vacation with friends the agenda never stays the same this is family so it's a lot different i'll be in my cousin's house for the majority of the time but like if we were to go on a trip to hypothetically like la or some shit like that there's like kyle said there's club there's going out to dinner clothes there is you know hanging out in the city clothes there's like going out and about like hiking clothes you know what i'm saying like there's just different shit you don't wear the same things for everything to me well, well to, to me like with some of the functions or the places that you go to to me like when it comes to the stuff that you wear there's overlap so to me like there are certain places where i can kind of get away with just kind of like casual clothing and then there are other places where i may have to go a little bit more upscale or may have to you know kind of you know impress the dress or dress to impress a little bit more but i'm typically a lot more laid back no matter really where we end up going so 
usually I just go with more casual uh, clothes most of the time. Unless it's actually like, you know, you're going to like a nice restaurant or if you're going out to the club. Because, you know, I hate bringing this up. Sometimes you got to flex if you're going to the uh, going to the club or something like sometimes. that. I, 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 I'm not usually the type to do that, but I understand this, the, the circumstances behind that where you may have to. So I get that part. It's, it's, it's a different situation. You know, situational awareness. You got to realize where you are and what you're doing. Like Bill Belichick. He always kind of brings that up. I know I had to throw that in there just to piss you off. Anyway. But, bro, we, we, got, we got a couple topics to go through. We got some, some NBA topics to go over. We got some MLB talk to go over. You ready to dive into this? Oh, absolutely. All right. So uh, first things first, uh, we'll go off with... The, the first big news that we'll go over is the DeJounte Murray trade. So Murray ends up getting traded for the San Antonio Spurs. He gets sent to the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for Danilo Gallinari. Uh, we'll talk about just the impact of that trade and really the impact that it's going to have with the Atlanta Hawks moving forward. I mean, based on the roster right now, uh, Murray's going to be in the fold alongside Trey Young, John Collins, uh, Bogdanovich, and Clint Capella. You know, for a five-man rotation for the starting line, it's not necessarily a bad look if you're Atlanta, but we'll just dive into the impact of that trade and what it could mean for the Hawks going into next year. Uh, second on deck, we'll talk about the Knicks. Uh, their offseason has started. Uh, they've been looking into making some moves the last couple of days or so. We'll just talk about their general plans going into uh, the offseason and whether or not they're going to be able to bring in some top-flight free agents. After that, we'll talk a little bit about Draymond Green and his comments on the 2017-2018 Warriors. We'll talk about just the two titles that they were able to get with Kevin Durant on that roster because some of the comments that Draymond made were in reference to KD and the impact that Kevin Durant brought to that team for Golden State on that run. After that, we'll dive into some rapid-fire segments. Uh, we'll talk about just some notable free agents that are getting some looks this offseason. We'll talk about uh, Tyler Hero. We'll talk about Miles Bridges, Matisse Thibel, Gary Payton II. Um, those will be the, the main guys we'll go over. So that'll kind of be a fun segment. And then after that, we'll kick it over to baseball to wrap up the episode with Freddie Freeman uh, firing his agent over the con the contract disputes that took place over this past offseason. Uh, well, that, that'll kind of be an interesting one because it really has to do with just really the, the contract figures that uh, his representation was hearing at the time and Freeman just fired his agency uh, just over the last week or so. It was kind of kind of at the same time where the Dodgers went to Atlanta and it was his first time going back to Atlanta uh, since winning the World Series last year with the Braves. So that'll be kind of an interesting segment to wrap it up on. But uh, to go back to our top segment, uh, let's talk about this DeJounte Murray trade. So like I said, Murray gets traded from the San Antonio Spurs to the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for Danilo Gallinari. When you look at the Atlanta Hawks, kind of a down year last year. Uh, they did make it into the playoffs, but got bounced out pretty quick. But I will say, to their credit, they made a pretty solid move. Uh, pretty early on in the offseason. Picking up Murray was a solid addition for them. Murray's coming off of a career year last year where he averaged over 21 points. I think he averaged somewhere along the lines of eight rebounds and nine assists, or it was vice versa, nine assists and eight rebounds, something like that. But overall, uh, DeJounte Murray has definitely shown some flashes of greatness, and you know him being relatively young uh, could definitely be a pretty viable piece 
moving forward for the Atlanta Hawks. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just grade the impact of DeJounte Murray going to the Hawks and what he's going to be able to present them going into next year. Well, we all know that DeJounte Murray brings a certain element to the game. He is kind of one of those do-it-all point guards. He's tall. He's long. He can defend. He can shoot. He's getting better at shooting, but again, you know, he can shoot. Uh, he's a great rebounding guard. He can actually find people, play a great role in the pick and roll, um, a good ball handler, and I mean, just he's an overall good offensive player. I would say that he's probably one of the better two-way players in the league at the point guard position. Now, with him being the height that he is, obviously, he's more than likely going to have to slide to the two or the three because of Trey obviously leading the one and him being very, very undersized. Um, but that starting lineup in and of itself is very, very, very different. You have, obviously, the offensive firepower that is Trey Young, the guy that can pull from all sides of the court. He's got great court vision in himself as well. Great free throw shooter. Now you add DeJounte Murray, who can probably uh, facilitate a little bit more from the inside. And then, of course, he can slash. He can finish at the rim. He's developed a little bit of a better shot. I mean, he averaged 21-9-8 and this year and two steals. So it's not like he can't do anything so he's actually bringing a lot to the table then you obviously have Bogdanovich their their, their sniper or sharpshooter John Collins is a question mark because there have been a lot of rumors about Atlanta looking to shop him Uh, Clint Capella obviously solidifying at the five being a a, a very old-fashioned rebounding big who can finish at the rim of course and of course block shots and be a, a big detriment to them or should I say a big contributor on the defensive end with blocking and altering shots so I think they got better defensively. I think they got better in the rebounding position. And then, of course, overall as a whole, when you add somebody like DeJounte Murray to a, a struggling younger team, uh, he gives them that different element that they needed. Uh, somebody who can go out there and get you a bucket as well. And then people that are coming off the bench for the Hawks, uh, like Herder uh, and like Kevin Hunter, just there's so many cup, there's so many different options that Atlanta has to now rotate through that guard position. I think this is going to benefit them as well. Not to mention they offloaded a, a little bit of a heavy contract with Gallinari. He's been old, excuse me, he's been injured. He's older. He hasn't really been known for being a solid defender at any point in his career. So you know, with him also being a streaky shooter, it felt best for them probably to offload that to San Antonio and then San Antonio on this side obviously ends up getting three first round picks out of it so we will see what happens but overall I definitely give this trade probably like a B B plus for the Atlanta Hawks well when I look at Atlanta from last year I mean Atlanta was I would say an average team last year but they definitely took a dip the year before they were just high flying they were one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference and they did take a step back last year uh, they finished as the AC with a 43-39 and 39 record. But I like the fact that they are going out on a limb and they're being aggressive in the offseason so far by trading for DeJounte Murray. I think when you look at Murray's production with the Spurs, it's been consistently improving since he was a rookie. When he was a rookie, he was averaging like three points a game. And now he's up to the point where he's averaging over 20 points a game and contributing not just with scoring, but with rebounding and facilitating the basketball as well. And like you said, his defensive capabilities are improving as time goes on. And I think that's going to have a pretty beneficial impact, not only for him in his individual career moving forward, but I think it's going to have a pretty solid impact for the Hawks going into next year. Because, look, when you look at the starting rotation that the Hawks have right now, obviously you got Trey Young, who's going to be at the one. He's by far and away uh, their most pivotal piece moving forward just because 
I mean, Trey Young, I mean, the dude, when he is on, he's ice cold. I, the guy can be just an absolute killer with shooting the basketball. But with young age in, that Trey Young is, you're going to have a little bit of inexperience. And I think last year, I think that kind of proved that just because in the playoffs last year, he wasn't as effective as he was in the year prior. Maybe that was just because, you know, going into the playoffs uh, the, the first time around, you know, you really don't have a lot to work with as far as experience is concerned. But you know, going into this past season, you could definitely tell that he was just off of his game in the playoffs. And, you know, maybe that's just one of the learning experiences that comes with being young as an NBA player. But I think when you add Murray into the fold to go alongside Trey Young, I, I think that's going to be solid just because you're going to have the one and two spots locked down. You have Bogdanovich, who is a very good, consistent three-point shooter. And then you have Clint Capella, like Kevin said, who's just going to be eating rebounds left and right and going to be providing just a defensive anchor for that team. If they're able to retain John Collins, even better, because that five-man rotation is going to be solidified and it's going to be a solid rotation moving forward. It's just whether or not that I think Atlanta is going to improve from last year. And I do think that with this addition of Murray, I think it definitely is going to get them not only into a top five seed, I think it may get them even as high as a top four seed in the Eastern Conference next year. Because, I mean, when I look at the Eastern Conference, you know, the top four teams last year were the Heat, the Celtics, the Bucks, and the 76ers. Now, obviously, those are extremely competitive teams. And I'm not saying that Murray to the to the Hawks rotation is going to put them in a like a top two or a top three situation. But if they're able to stay relatively healthy, all of the Hawks starting five, and if Murray is able to contribute at a high clip for them, I could see them definitely being a competitive force right alongside maybe the 76ers and the Raptors. Granted, we'll kind of have to see how next year plays out. But overall, I think this is a solid pickup for the Atlanta Hawks. I think this is going to be a great player for the next foreseeable, uh, for the foreseeable future, I should say, over the next couple of years. And as long as Murray continues to develop his game like he has been the last couple of years with the Spurs, I th think that they're going to be a competitive force in the Eastern Conference as far as the Hawks are concerned. So overall, I like the move that the Hawks made. I think it was a good one. It's going to be interesting to see what happens in the East because, as you already alluded to, there are a lot of teams that are not just resetting but getting healthier with Milwaukee getting Middleton back and so many different things, et cetera, et cetera. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, well, Atlanta was a bubble team to an extent, you know, like a play-in team, and they found a way to, to get into the playoffs and do what they needed to do. And, you know, Trey Young had, a, a to me, what I consider a development year. He realized how difficult it is. He can't just get his shot off, and he has to learn how to be able to adapt to physical ball handling, or should I say physical defense. Now DeJounte Murray actually alleviates that where you don't need to have the ball in your hands at all time. He can bring it up sometimes. You can run off the ball, similar to a kind of Steph Curry play, except I think DeJounte Murray is a better ball handler than Clay. So it doesn't have to necessarily be Trey to initiate the offense. It doesn't have to be... Uh, Trey to go out there, bring the ball up every single possession, knowing that you know if anybody else does it, it's going to end up in a turnover or an inefficient offensive sequence. With DeJounte there, it takes a lot of pressure off of Trey, and with Trey having the lessons that he did this season, I think Atlanta's going to surprise a lot of people and actually make a decent run. And by decent, I mean probably like a sixth, fifth, or fourth seed. I don't know why I did it backwards there, but I just personally believe that he just he ele he elevates Trey Young's game and he makes the team overall better, especially with what he's going to be able to bring from the defensive side of the ball.
Well, and the thing is, you know, obviously when you look at Murray, like Murray's a good solid two-way player. You know, he can knock down shots consistently around 45% from the field. Uh, he's a good defensive presence at that two spot. I think the one thing that I'm going to like about his presence on that roster, especially on the offensive side, is like you said, now you actually have to account for for three solid shooters on that starting five potentially with Trey Young, Murray, and Bogdanovich. Because last year, I think they got into a situation where teams could essentially double Trey, and then he'd have to force it out to kick it to either Capella, Collins, or Bogdanovich to be able to make a shot. Now, granted, I mean, those guys can knock shots down. I mean, Capella's mostly beholden to just getting shots at the rim. But, you know, you look at what Murray could bring. That's just another option to kick out to if some team were to defend some sort, if they were able to present some sort of double on Trey, if they end up doing that. So I think just from the offensive side, I think it just gives them a a better option um, outside of what they had last year. And I think moving forward, you know, it's like, I, I think it's basically like what we both said. I think we see this as like a solid pickup for the Hawks. Is this like one where the Hawks are going to shoot up all the way to the top of the Eastern Conference? No, I don't necessarily see that. But do I see them being like a competitive force, like in the middle pack of the Eastern Conference when it comes to the seedings, one through eight? Yeah, I could see that. It's just whether or not that they can improve from last year. And I think, you know, them getting bounced out of the playoffs relatively early last year, I think that may sting for them a little bit. I think, you know, they could probably look back at it. It's like, yeah, we made some mistakes here and there. But I think, you know, making a move like this, I think it resets the focus for the team as a whole. And I think if if Murray gets off to a good start, is able to lock down the chemistry uh, with the players that they have in the roster, I think it could serve them well. That's how I just Atlanta will be it. solid. Atlanta's going to be solid. Yeah. Do I think that they're going to be the best team in the East? No. no. Not at all. There's too many good teams. Uh, Boston's up there. Miami's a really good team. Um, the Bucks are a solid team. Could Could... At best, I think they might slip into the fourth. I, I think at best, and, and that at may best. Be, yeah, 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 and that's it, and that's that's a, probably that's a stretch, like, just because that, that's overachieving for them. You look at you look at, in no particular order: Milwaukee, Miami, Boston, Boston, and then um, Philadelphia, Philly. There you go. Like you said, yeah. I think they. I think really Atlanta would have to fight for that fourth spot. Obviously, it kind of depends on what the Sixers do with James Harden. I think Harden is coming back. I think he's going. Oh yeah, he he opted out. Yeah, he opted out so that he can re-sign a more teamly friend, a team-friendly deal. Yeah. So hey, the guy that you probably hate the most in the NBA is making some self-sacrifices for the team. That's because he's made his money and he said, you know what, we need to win. Me making fifty doesn't help this team. But that's like short of like that's like that's almost like hell freezing over for you. I, I thought we'd never see the day. Are you actually complimenting James Harden? No. Kind of sounds like it a little bit, though. Next subject, please. Thanks. <laughs> the hatred that you have for that man is uncanny. It's significant, bro. It's but, ridiculous. But with that said, uh, we're going to transition to our next segment, and we're going to focus on the New York Knicks. Uh, so the Knicks are busy so far in the offseason. Um, you look at some of the recent moves that they've made. Uh, they re-signed Mitchell Robinson to a four-year deal. Kevin, well, I, they're looking to. Free agency doesn't start till 6 p.m. tomorrow, which by the time this comes out tomorrow morning, based it'll on be a little report, bit later. Based on the reports, it seems like Mitchell Robinson's going to re-sign 
uh, with the New York Knicks. I think the the deal that we both looked at was a four year deal. Four years, sixty million. Yeah, so fifty million a year. Uh, that'd be a good extension for Mitchell Robinson. Um, obviously, probably the the big name that the Knicks have been looking at so far uh, this off season is Jalen Brunson. From what I've seen with the reports, uh, the Knicks are potentially looking to give Jalen upwards of like a hundred ten million dollar deal. Uh, the Knicks have been making moves to free up cap space. Uh, they dumped Nerland Noel's and Alec Burks. Uh, they sent them off in a trade to free up some more cap Detroit, space for the. Yep. And really, it's all in predicate with this move potentially to get Jalen Brunson in the fold from the Dallas Mavericks. So, and that's where I'm going to pose the question to Kev. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, with the Knicks making some moves to free up some cap space or potentially signing Jalen Brunson. Do you think that the Knicks are going to be able to sign Jalen Brunson away from the Dallas Mavericks this offseason? The bias in me wants to say no, but I do know that money talks in this league. I do know for a fact that Jalen is in a massive contract year. He played the best year of his career last season, and I think that he may want to capitalize on this opportunity to cash out. Uh, We all know that Dallas doesn't necessarily have the funds that New York would in terms of being able to give him as much as he would like on a yearly base, but it kind of all just depends on what Nico Harrison's going to be able to do. Now, if I were to take my bias aside, I would say absolutely, because the Knicks are looking to offer him anywhere from 25 to $28 million per season. They have hired his father as an assistant coach on the staff, not to mention they have cleared so much room on the roster and in their, I guess on the books for financial purposes to acquire Jalen. They have made that, they have made this the center focus of their offseason. They have made, they have, I can't even speak today. They have made Jalen the top priority this offseason to acquire in free agency. And I think that Jalen is going to respect that. I think Jalen's going to like that. I mean, I don't know what player wouldn't. And it's obviously going to be a big, massive pay scale. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but low key, I don't know if he deserves the entireness, the entirety of a 28 a year, $27 million a year contract. Um, I was under the impression 18, 20, maybe 22 max. But for you to go upwards of almost 30, kind of crack in that realm of $30 million, to me, that's a little excessive. I mean, the man averaged 16 points, four, four or five assists. Wait, hold on. I actually have it right here. I'm acting like I'm trying to remember off verbatim. Uh, 16 points, four assists, or five assists, four rebounds. He shot 50% from the field, 37% from three. It's not like Jalen can't produce, but people have to remember, this was while playing alongside Luka Doncic. This was while everybody was doubling Luka, he was able to roam free. This is while he was able to lead the second unit in a lot of instances when Luka would step off the floor. This is while our system was focalized between a lot of isolation plays and penetrating at the paint. A lot of threes. I don't necessarily know if Tom Thibodeau is going to allow him to have the freedom, the free reign because of Julius Randle, because of the development of R.J. Barrett. It, it, to me, he's going to end up being a definite third fiddle. At least on Dallas, he's for sure the second. Because outside of Spencer Dinwiddie, I, there, there, isn't, there isn't another person that's going to be able to take the shots away from Luka Doncic or Jalen Brunson. So I just, to me, it's not a good fit uh, you're going to go to a worse team. You're going to be in a, the process of 
rebuilding. Obviously, we already know New York is not going to be anywhere near competitive because we don't necessarily know what they're going to do with the remaining roster spots that they have. But in terms of Jalen Brunson and the possibility of him going to New York, I would have to say percentage-wise, and this is me being realistic, I would say it's probably a good 50-50 split for me because I've seen reports from Dallas beat writers that say it's almost a guarantee that once free agency opens, it's definitely going to be Dallas first. And the other reason I would say 50 is because money and Dallas has been known to drop the ball free agents in the past. If for whatever reason we can't agree to a number, he's going right to New York. And I think that uh, I think he deserves to get paid. And if he does leave, I'll always love uh, you know Jalen Brunson. So I, no hard feelings to him to chase the bag. He's young, and this is what you got to do at this age. Well, when I look at it from the Knicks' perspective, they're definitely going to overpay for Jalen Brunson here. And I think that's just to kind of get him away from Dallas. And I think they're kind of looking at it from a perspective of we are willing to overpay so that we don't lose out again. Because let's be real here for a second. I mean, obviously, one of the biggest things that they are planning to do so far is re-sign Mitchell Robinson. Looking at a four-year deal, around 60 mil, that's basically what the reports are saying uh, that Mitchell Robinson is going to re-sign for. Well, let's look at the DeJounte Murray trade. The Knicks were involved for Murray, and they struck out on that one. And I remember I was I was going over some some New York uh, Post articles, and they were kind of focusing on that Murray uh, trade. And they were the mindset that that was one of the the marquee players that the Knicks were looking at this offseason, and they really wanted uh, to get Murray into the fold had they been able to land a trade for him. Unfortunately for the Knicks, he goes to the Hawks, and, you know, that ship has sailed. So to me, when it comes to Leon Rose, when it comes to really the Knicks front office right now, all of their attention, I think, is focused on Jalen Brunson. And they are willing to literally bend over backwards as far as giving him a contract to possibly even bring him in. Now, with that said, that doesn't guarantee anything. The Knicks have been one of those franchises that have just been snake bitten when it comes to bringing in free agents into the fold in the past. I mean, for God's sakes, they weren't willing to offer Kevin Durant a max contract because they were actually worried about his health long-term. And he ends up signing with a team that's across the river with the Brooklyn Nets. And then when I look at a situation with Jalen Brunson, like Kevin had just kind of outlined, I mean, essentially, the Knicks are willing to offer him around $25 million a year for him. Now, I like Jalen Brunson. I think that Jalen Brunson is a solid player. But $25 million for a player that really only averages around 15 to 16 points per game, I think that's a little bit high. Even for me, like if I was sitting in a front office position, and granted, I know you have to kind of overpay to, to, to basically entice somebody uh, to come to a new city to play for you. But if I were the Knicks, I, I would look at what the Dallas Mavericks are offering, Jalen. And, and pretty much from what I've seen with what Dallas is offering, I think Dallas was offering around $85 million. Kevin, you can correct me if I'm wrong with any of these numbers, but basic, that was the basic number that I saw as far as what the Mavericks were able uh, to offer. Yeah, the the initial one, and I know for a fact that, you know, Nico Harrison is, sorry, I moved the mic. Uh, I think that Nico Harrison is moving pieces and assets around, and obviously, you know, with the trade for Christian Wood, I don't know what that's going to do to us on the books. But the initial offer from what I had heard was somewhere around the 80 to 85 million for sure. So, you know, to kind of buffer off of that point, 
you know, I think if you're the Knicks, I I think even just like a hundred million dollars may be like a better number because then at that point you're you know you're you're paying him around twenty million million a year. Once you start getting up into like 110, 115 mil, I mean, you're getting close to 25 mil for somebody who I would look at as like a solid player, but he's not a number one. You know, I think at best with what New York would use him, he'd be a number two. It's just that I think, I think the thing with the Knicks is that they always kind of tend to strike out when it comes to getting the free agents that they want. And they always have to kind of settle with basically like their third or fourth option that they were originally planning for. They can never really get that top guy that they had their sights on in the off season when it comes to free agency. And I think in this case, even if the Knicks were to bring in Jalen Brunson, do I think that he changes like the entire landscape for the Knicks? No, I don't. I think that he's a solid player. I think he could contribute at decent clips for them. But to me, the way that I see the Knicks right now is they're still a young team that's in a development stage. RJ Barrett is still developing. Julius Randle is coming off of a year where, let's face it, uh, he was very frustrated uh, throughout most of the year. He was getting frustrated uh, with teammates. He was getting frustrated with some of the coaches. And it really wasn't that good of a year for Julius. And, you know, granted, they have some young players to work with. They have Emmanuel Quickly. They have Obi Toppin. But those guys are in their development stage right now. Those guys still have a long way to go in their respective NBA careers where they can produce at the clip that the Knicks need them to to be able to be a viable team in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, even if they were to bring in Jalen Brunson, I think it may move the needle slightly for them, but does it move them in a way that they're going to be a significant force in the Eastern Conference? No. And it w- I think it would just be utterly hysterical if Jalen Brunson were to resign with the Mavericks, despite the fact the Knicks would be willing to overpay $30 million in this specific instance. I think that would just kind of be like the Knicks MO. It's just, it really doesn't matter how much the Knicks are willing to offer. They just can't bring in the guys that they want to, if that were the case, if Jalen were to resign uh, with the Mavs. I just think there's there's a lot of pressure on Leon Rose to get Jalen. They obviously missed out on Murray with him getting traded to Atlanta. And I think if they miss out on Jalen, and the best thing that you have to show for in this offseason, granted, obviously some other things will go down in, in the offseason, but if Mitchell Robinson is going to be like your big uh, signing this offseason, that really shows the state of the Knicks. And it really is just kind of a continuation of who they are as an organization. Just uh, an incompetent franchise from top to bottom. And we'll see what happens with Jalen. Uh, we'll find that in the next couple of days or so. But there's a lot riding for Leon Rose here to get this deal done with Jalen. And time will tell when it comes uh, to whether or not that they could see it through. But there's a lot of pressure on Leon to get this done. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean it's interesting because I saw I saw a funny take and it was a serious one and it was uh what's the show that Nick Wright has? I always forget which first, first watch thing, first first, first, first things first. first. Yep. Right. Okay. So he usually has Chris Broussard and then Wiley and then usually one of his female co-hosts. Wiley had made a statement that this was the Nick's royal big Leon Rose plan was to get a future superstars co-star. And mm-hmm. I'm listening and I'm like, 
what? He goes, this is the preempted step to bring Donovan Mitchell home. I laughed so hard. Like, I had to pause it because I'm sitting here looking at my phone in pure disbelief that he he truly believed it. He wasn't trolling. He was dead serious. And I'm like, on what planet would Donovan Mitchell go utterly backwards to New York? Take, I mean, he's got three, four years left on this contract. So he's not a free agent until 2026. Mm-hmm. By the time that happens, he's going to be damn near 30, if not 30. And you're going to give him a max deal when he goes to New York. Jalen Brunson's going to be pushing 32. RJ Barrett's going to be up there in age. Julius Randle's not going to be on this team. But it's a matter of, can you afford to pay Donovan Mitchell that much money? Would Donovan want to go to New York anyway? Like, what kind of take is that? Do you really, like, does Jalen Brunson want to hear a take like this? Like, oh, I'm just a piece to acquire. Not to mention, is Jalen Brunson really the second piece that you want to build around? Are you forgetting RJ Barrett? Like, it was just such a bad take. I had to let I had to let you guys know because it was just so funny. Yeah, and honestly, like I, I imagine that some of these players, when they look at some of the takes, bro, they're just comical to a certain extent. Like, you know, when I look at like Jalen Brunson, you know, when you look at like basically, like who are like the difference makers with the Knicks? I mean, it's pretty simple. You know, Julius, uh, RJ. You know, pretty much those are the top two. You know, and I think you were correct to basically say, you know, Jalen would probably be the third fiddle at that point. And, but that's kind of dependent on, on what's going to happen with Julius moving forward. I don't know what's going to happen with Julius. It, it seems like to me that, I'm not saying like the relationship between Julius and, and like the Knicks is like, you know, it's like under fire or anything like that. But it's been in better places. I can tell you that. And it wouldn't surprise me like, like within like the next year or two. Hell, it couldn't even be this offseason that Julius is on a different team. I I, I don't really know at this point. I, I, I'm just, I, I saw last year with Julius, it, it just seemed like to me he was frustrated. He was frustrated with the general direction of where the team was going. And is that indicative of what could happen this offseason to him? Maybe. I don't really know. But it just seems like to me, like I think Julius is, is looking at greener pasture somewhere else. And I don't know how it would unfold. It could happen this offseason. It could happen in season uh, next year. Or it could happen in next year's offseason. I, I don't really know. It just seems like to me like his tenure with the Knicks is on borrowed time. Oh, yeah. I think Julius, to me, is at a pass right now where the first screw-up, the first incident, you got to trade him. Like, you're trying to build something in New York. You had a great first run at it, a great first crack at it with RJ and Julius and Derek coming back. Like you, you had a great opportunity to to do something special in New York, and it, it didn't pan out the first year. And you know it's okay. You know mistakes happen, trial and error. The second year, we both expected them to take it to another level, if not have repeated success. We, we, Julius we, Randall immediately collapsed that with multiple breakdowns on the sideline, terrible shot selection, poor effort. Um, I guess, you know, not necessarily being a bad teammate, but he just did not reflect the year that he had prior. And I think with all of the extra things that he did off the court, I think that's going to leave, I think that left a bad taste in New York's front office, like a bad taste in their mouth. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if Julius has moved, I mean, even this offseason, if it meant getting another superstar, but I would definitely lean more towards next season to offload that contract as well as to get him away from being a distraction. Yeah, it's just 
we'll kind of see how it, it moves on forward with Julius. But I mean, to kind of get this back to, to Jalen here, it just seems like this year in particular, when it comes to the Knicks offseason plans, that this is it. It's either Jalen or bust. Because they missed out on Murray. I know that they were interested in bringing Murray into the fold, but it's like, that's it? Jalen yeah, Brunson's just, gonna be the he's gonna be the guy. He's gonna be the I guy that pushed the needle. I can't like, take that serious. Yeah, it's just it's like you said, I think he'd be third fiddle at best. Now granted, he'd be getting paid. He'd be getting paid to be there. But I think he's got a good thing going with Dallas. And Dallas is a I viable agree. team. It's just it's whether or not that he thinks that, you know, is money the real motivator here? If the Knicks are willing to give Jalen up to 110 mil and the Dallas is only willing to give 25, he could look at that situation and say, hey, the Knicks, Knicks beat you. You mean 85? Oh, yeah, 85, excuse me. Like, yeah. I'm just saying, like, there's a $25 million difference between 110 and 85 mil. And he could look at it as like, look, hey, they came with a better offer and they were willing to bend over backwards to do it. And that's despite the fact that, you know, Jalen was drafted by the Mavs. So we'll kind of see how it goes. But to me, it, this really kind of seems it for the Knicks this offseason. Like, if they get Jalen, like, that's a winner in their book. But it's like, is he going to be, like, the guy that pushes them forward in the Eastern Conference? No. No. They, they, they've got a long way to go. And... I just don't think that that one player is going to make that big of a difference. Now, if they were to bring in someone like Luca, then that would be entirely different. If they were to bring in a superstar, a legitimate superstar, then that would be different. But that's not the case here. Jalen at best is the second best player with the Mavs. And honestly, sometimes you could even say maybe even third, depending on how Spencer plays. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what happens in the season as a Mavs fan. And I know that we're going to get into some more Mavs news as it kind of progresses I don't even want to talk about it right now honestly we'll get to it when we get to it but this this Jalen news in and of itself is it's nerve-wracking to me as a fan I'm excited for the Knicks because of course I want to see them succeed as they are the hometown team but for them to focalize their efforts around a role player is essentially what he is it, it doesn't bode well whatsoever at least it, it's just not a good look for you so that that's the last thing I'm gonna say on that fair enough fair enough uh, but with that said, uh, we're going to transition to our next segment, and that is going to be Draymond's comments on Kevin Durant's impact with the Warriors, uh, the two years uh, that the Golden State won the finals with Kevin Durant in the fold. Now, Draymond said this on his podcast a couple of days ago, and they were specifically talking about Kevin Durant's impact with the Golden State Warriors the two years that they won title runs. Now, basic his basic point was, is that without Kevin Durant, Draymond was of the mindset that the Warriors wouldn't have won the finals against the Cavs, the LeBron-led Cavs at that time. He was essentially saying that Kevin was a difference maker that got Golden State over the hump uh, to get those finals over the Cavs. Now, I'm going to dive into some more comments that he made just to provide a better context for the discussion that Kevin and I are going to have. So I'll start it with this. This is what Draymond was saying. I personally don't think at that point, Steph Curry had figured out, I'm going to get a bucket 
whenever I want to. I don't think he was capable of that yet. I think he was still growing into that. Because of that, once teams started to figure out our offense, we were starting to struggle more and more. And I'm not sure if you remember that series with OKC. We were down 3-1 and had to come back. That's because teams had started to figure us out. When that in turn ended up happening, Steph still creates all the havoc that he does. Like I tweeted, and that was Draymond specifically, Steph faced so many double teams and Kevin didn't. That's a fact. You can go look at the numbers or just watch the game. If you watch the game, then you see that Steph's getting double teamed and then the Cavs, specifically Ty Lue he's talking about here, goes publicly and says, I'm double teaming Steph every chance I get. Kevin wasn't getting double teamed. Draymond essentially says is that the reality is we got to a point where we needed to be able to give someone the ball that could just go get a bucket. Kevin was already there. I don't think Steph was there yet. So it gets us through those two years. We get those two championships. While we were doing that, Steph is continuing to work and evolve his game. And most importantly, becoming the strongest dude on our team. To this day, he's the strongest guy on the team. That allowed him to score whenever he wanted to because you could no longer bump him off of his path. But that was the full context of what Draymond was saying in regards to Kevin Durant's impact when the Warriors won back-to-back finals in 2017 and 2018. Now, Kevin, now that you have all that to work with, do you think that Draymond's comments about those 2017-2018 Warriors with Kevin Durant in the fold are accurate? I think it's a little out of pocket. Um, I think it's a little bit of a slight towards his teammate. I think it's a little bit of an insult. I mean, Steph had already won multiple MVPs at that time. He already had the unanimous one, at least. Um, They had gone to two straight finals prior to that. Steph had averaged incredible numbers throughout the rest of the postseason prior to KD being on the team. Uh, Steph Curry was not necessarily somebody that was a a bucket getter like a Kevin Durant that's going to go out and give you 30 on purpose. Like That's their role on the team because Steph is also known to be a good facilitator, a good leader, and he's not the scorer at the clip that Kevin Durant is, in my personal opinion, especially because Kevin Durant is so versatile with his height and his ability to finish at the rim and all of these things. What I'm saying is the Warriors had gone to the finals two years in a row prior to to Kevin joining. The Warriors won one out of those two. And, you know, technically, depending on who you ask, and again, it all depends. No excuses here, just fact. Um, if if Draymond doesn't get suspended, they are literally a, a game away from potentially going back to back. And then Kevin joining. Uh, but again, you can also make the same point for the Cavs in 2015 when Kevin Love went out and Kyrie went out. So again, I'm just making points. The reason I say this is because if you went to back-to-back finals without KD, if you came and built that same roster right back, knowing how 2016 had ended with blowing a 3-1 lead in the finals, knowing that Steph was going to have to take that next step, take that next leap, and it's not to say that he couldn't handle that or not to say that he couldn't do it, I think saying that they needed Kevin because Curry wasn't there yet is a bit off. I think that that's a, I think that's selling your teammate very short after especially he was one of the main pieces to the fact that you were even in the finals to begin with. And I know that Draymond was actually doing good at this point where he was actually hitting shots and averaging more points offensively and and a younger defender so he was a little bit more of a pain in the ass for the Cavaliers especially uh, not necessarily LeBron but you know giving Kevin Love some problems. Uh 
And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, the fact that you have no faith in your team at that point just doesn't make sense to me. You know, it kind of, it kind of feel. I feel like you're discrediting the ability of what your team could do back then. You don't have KD now, and you won an NBA championship. Like, I don't think he understands the nucleus that he has around him, and maybe that's because he was drafted into an already developing system with a great coach and one of the most iconic players in NBA history that is Stephen Curry, but. As a whole, for, for him to go and make those comments and say, I don't think we get that without Kevin, I think that's, to, to me, it's just a little bit crazy. I get he's trying to give his kudos to Steph by saying he was doubled at all times. I get he's saying that they needed a, a shot creator to go out there and get you a bucket at any given time. But if that's the case, you could have gone out there and, and, and gotten a lower-tiered playmaker. No, you got Kevin fucking Durant, arguably the best player in basketball next to LeBron James during that time period. I think if you would have had a number of different players in that position, they probably still win that because they won in such convincing fashion. Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. I think they won both series either 4-1 or they swept the Cavs in one of those finals. They did. So it's like KD just kind of put the icing on the cake because a lot of those games were blowouts. And again, I'm not saying that Kevin wasn't an impactful person to sway some of those outcomes, but they probably don't end up being swept, but I do believe that the Cavaliers still lose that particular series in 2017 in six if they don't have KD. And, you know, like I said, that just means Steph would have had to take that next step faster. He would just would have had to be that guy a lot quicker. I think Steph was definitely ready to take that opportunity. I just think that you couldn't pass up an opportunity to to have Kevin Durant play for your team and, and basically guarantee you finals uh, multiple finals appearances as well as multiple wins. Well, let me kind of phrase it like this. Like, let, let's say hypothetically, Kevin Durant wasn't on that 2017 Warriors team. Let's just say hypothetically, just for the sake of okay. the argument. Do you think that Golden State would be in the finals with the way that it had gone down the year prior where, well, let's face it, the Warriors were struggling to even make it to the finals that year before. And that was a 73 and nine year. That was the one where they went the bonkers in the regular season, but they struggled against OKC being down three, one coming off at of the coming off the year, the year that they lost. You think they would have been able to bounce back to get back to the finals without KD. I think so. Think? Look at what they, look what they did this year. They were completely riddled with adversity within two seasons, as well as injuries. And they did it with an older, Steph Curry, an older Clay, an older Draymond. Dude, after an embarrassment like that, 100% they would have been motivated. And they well, very well proved this year that they could have done it when they were younger. Well, my thing is, like, I don't like automatically assume that even if KD wasn't in the fold, that they're just instantly going to go to the finals. That might be a year where, look, maybe you get bounced out in the Western Conference Finals. Maybe, I, I think Houston at that point was kind of like on their rise at that point. Maybe Houston goes to the finals that that one year. And then maybe the next year, you know, without KD, the the Warriors find a way to get back into the finals. Because that's how I kind of think of this whole thing. Because the way that I see it, Kevin Durant made it basically a surefire uh, result that the Warriors were going to the finals, no matter what. When you add somebody like KD's caliber to the roster, you, you tie that in with Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Iggy, you're going to the finals. 
there's just there's no other way because at that point the overwhelming competitive advantage that you have compared to basically every other team is so palpable that there's nobody going to be able to stop you. I mean, they got to the finals relatively easily. And then once they got there and played LeBron and the Cavs, they did them dirty. They either swept them in four or they finished them in five. So when I look at Draymond's comments, I think to a certain extent, they're right when it comes to Kevin. I don't think they're necessarily correct when it comes to Steph, though. I do, I do kind of see your point that you were making about Steph. About you could almost interpret it that way as like you might be slightly like criticizing like Steph's impact at that point in his career. And I don't necessarily see it that way. I can understand where he's coming from saying that maybe opposing defenses were finally starting to figure out Steph. They were starting to double him a lot more often than they were in previous years. But I still think that Draymond kind of has to give Steph a little bit of leeway to be able to learn from that. And even if KD wasn't there, I still think that Steph would have been able to make those adjustments in real time without KD in that situation. But when KD was there, you didn't necessarily have to worry about that. Because by and large... You know, you got Steph, Clay, Draymond, um, and KD. I mean, all those guys can score. Even Draymond, you know, the limited scoring capacity that he had. They can all score. But KD was the difference maker. KD was the difference maker as far as, you know, pu- pushing that team over the top. So, like, to me, I understand where Draymond's coming from about KD. But when it comes to Steph... I think he's sliding him a little bit at that point in his respective career. I understand what he's saying about the double teams and stuff, but that's Steph Curry. You have to allow the possibility of him to be able to learn from what the defense is giving him and finding a way to, to get to a point where he could still find open space to knock down shots or create space to knock down shots. So I think Draymond's like half right here. Because really, because I think people were focusing just on the KD quote. Basically, without KD, we wouldn't have won those championships. And I think to a certain extent, he's right about that. But I think he's sliding Steph a little bit here. And that's the part where I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Maybe they win one title without KD, where it's just Steph running the show. But, I mean, to say that, you know, that Steph wouldn't have been able to get one without KD there. I I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I understand where Draymond's coming from. And he, no, 100% and, I do. And, 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 and trust me, he has a better knowledge of the situation that was going on in Golden State at the time than we do. Because he actually, you know, was there. Was there. But I think... I think the one problem with what Draymond was saying here about Steph is that he left it open to interpretation. And that's the problem because he's interpreting it as Steph wasn't there yet as far as the guy that could be able to basically create space no matter what the defense is giving him to knock down shots. I I think he I think he might be a little bit wrong. I, I think he might be sliding Steph's abilities and skills just slightly. Now, could that be true? Yeah, he he could he could have been right at that moment. 
but yeah I, I steph's basically the greatest shooter that we've ever seen in nba history I, I i'm not gonna undervalue his intelligence to the game where he couldn't find a way to be able to create space whenever he could even despite the fact that he he's he'd be facing double teams so all in all i would say Draymond's like half right and really the second part is just leaving what he said open to interpretation about Steph. Because you could interpret that a couple of different ways. And I think the way that he phrased it, I'm interpreting it as, I think he may be sliding him. And he's just saying it as, no, Steph wasn't just there yet. He, he wasn't at the point to where he is now. Which, which could be true. But at the same time, he may be a little bit off. Because to base it off of now, Steph's like 33, 34 years old. Steph's, you know, by far and away. You know, I would say at this point, he has probably a better understanding of the game than maybe he did back then. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna slight in the fact that he would have been able to figure it out earlier if Katie weren't there. That's essentially the point that I'm making. I think Steph would have found a way to make it work back then without Katie. But I think so too. Dr- Dr- Draymond's right about KD though. KD was the one that that pushed that team over the top. Like without KD, I don't know if they win back to back championships. They may get one, but they don't get two. Like they got two because of KD. Because just the overpowering nature of that team with KD there, even Braun couldn't stop that. No team could have stopped that. The only reason why they ended up, you know not winning the one after it was because the team dealt with injuries. Clay got hurt. Katie tore his Achilles. And that's what really brought the team down. But it, it kind of a interesting topic though. So, Oh, for sure. But, but it depends but, on how you see it. So it was going to be a different result or, you know, uh, there's going to be a different opinion for everybody. But, but I'm glad that we focused on like the larger context of what Draymond said, instead of just the one quote where he's saying that Kevin was the reason why we got those championships. So, but, you know, Draymond's not shy to hold back from saying what's on his heart. So I do appreciate that in that regard. But uh, with that said, uh, we're going to transition into our rapid fire segment. So Kevin and I are, are going to focus on some basic names that have been kind of popping up in free agency rumors uh, within the last couple of days or so. Uh, the first one that we're going to go over is Tyler Hero. Now, based on the reports of what we've seen with Tyler Hero so far, is that the early indications is that the Heat are expected to give Tyler Hero a contract for nearly $25 million a year. Now, we don't have a timeline or a timetable for how long the contract's going to be, probably somewhere around, I would say, three to five years, somewhere along that timeline. But, Kevin, to get this one to you, do you believe that the Heat would be smart to offer Tyler Hero essentially a $25 million a year contract? would i mean he's giving more offensive output than jalen brunson he's gotten better every single year um the only knock is that he just needs to become a better defender i mean he is a solid rebounder he's not the greatest passer in the world but when you're just a a straight shooter off the bench you're 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 on the floor to create offense you're on the floor to go out there and and get a good shot and and a clean one at that i think that tyler hero brings a certain uh, charisma to the roster. I think that Tyler Hero provides a, a sharp shooting capability of being able to get his shot off pretty much not whenever he wants, but he's a pretty consistent and reliable three-point shooter. 
And I, I, I really like the fact that they are trying to keep him there for the long haul because it does show that the Heat can develop players. Um, I mean, aside from the Duncan Robinson signing that looked to go atrociously wrong, uh, Tyler Hero has always found a way to bring his offensive game back. When Duncan was in a slump, it was a pretty bad slump. And aside from that, he wasn't a good defender, whereas Tyler Hero's a little bit more on the consistent side and has been able to put up numbers throughout his entire career thus far. What is it, three, four years into it? I believe he's in the same class as Luka. Um, so I'm looking at this and I'm saying 25 a year. Jalen's probably going to get 25, 26. Uh, why not? I think that Miami is smart to go and solidify one of their younger pieces. And I think that they are doing right by him in terms of paying him what he rightfully deserves, especially after winning six men of the year. Well, and that was the point that I was going to focus on. I mean, when I look at Tyler Hero. I mean, Tyler Hero got off to a pretty good start uh, young in his career. Uh, he was pretty solid for the Heat, even in the bubble year uh, when they got to the NBA Finals. He, he was able to knock down shots consistently despite how young he was. And then when you look at this year, you could just tell from the time that he, he was a rookie in the NBA to the point where he is now. I mean, the guy w was balling off of the bench. I mean, that's why he won sixth man of the year. Uh, I mean, the dude was averaging almost 21 points a game. I mean, throughout his entire career, he's averaging around 16 and a half, 17 points per game. But I think I think if you're the Heat here, you have to give Tyler uh, a, a good extension up to 20 to $25 million a year. And w when I look at someone like Tyler the Hero, I mean, the guy's 22 years old. You know, the guy has a lot of, time left in, in the NBA and he's off to a relatively good start. And with what I see the heat going through the next couple of years, I think they have a really good window uh, to take advantage here. I mean, they have, they really have a great cast at their disposal with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler hero being another one. And I think it suits them in a positive way to have Tyler on the roster moving forward. I think him coming off the bench, providing the spark that he did for Miami throughout the entire regular season. I, I think it served them well. I think he's still learning. He's still going to be able to develop his game to a point where I think he could become a really great knockdown three-point shooter like he isn't already, but I think he, he could even improve his game more so than right now over the next couple of years. I think really, you know, the situation in Miami, I think it's a good one for the next couple of years or so. And I think the way that I see it, I think Miami would be stupid to let Tyler Hero uh, slide here I think they have a great opportunity to, to sign him to you know a, a solid contract for the next three to four years maybe even five depending on what sort of contract they give him but all in all I think the team as a whole with Miami is better with Tyler Hero than not and I think it behooves them uh, to give him a really solid contract around 20 to 25 million a year what but, is next so after that uh, we have Miles Bridges with the Charlotte Hornets now, based off of the reports that we've seen with Miles Bridges, Miles Bridges is reportedly looking at a max contract type of situation. Now, Miles Bridges is somebody that is a high flyer, and he's always involved in these great highlight dunks where the Charlotte Hornets broadcasters go absolutely insane. They're the and, best in the league. However, we're going to talk about whether or not that Miles Bridges is actually going to get that type of max contract that he is coveting. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, how do you see this Miles Bridges situation playing out with the Charlotte Hornets over the next couple of days or so? So I think he doesn't deserve it. Let me be clear. 
But we're talking about Charlotte, who overpaid for Terry Rozier. We're talking about Charlotte, who drafted uh, a center out of Duke when that's not a position that they necessarily needed. Um, I don't think that he was the best available player, which is the, uh, I think, Marvin Williams or something to that extent. I I can't remember his name. Um, We're also talking about a guy that was... It's it's like, he's a 20-point-per-game scorer, yes, but to be a max player somewhere in the 30s, someone that's a consistent contributor, a guy that can get you a shot whenever he wants. That's not Miles Bridges. He is a lob catcher. He has improved as a three-point shooter. He has improved as a a free-throw shooter. But Miles Bridges is just not someone that I'm looking at to pay over $175 million over the course of four to five seasons. He's not someone that I would expect to be asking for a contract like that, knowing that he's not, again, to me, not worth it. So I'm pulling, I have his numbers here, and Miles Bridges' stats last season were 20 points, 49% from the field, 33% from three, seven rebounds, and just shy of four assists per game. Now I know what you're saying. Jalen Brunson scored 16, but he can get 25 to 28. Tyler Hero scored 20, 21. He can get 25. Miles Bridges plays the three. Miles Bridges is also doing a lot more physically grueling activities with him being the high flyer and consistently going up, which we have seen in NBA history never necessarily pans out in the long run because they don't they're just putting too many miles on their legs. They're 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 blowing their knees out young. They're trying to be flashy. And you know, let's just not forget the fact that Miles Bridges was also caught with lean on his Instagram and, you know, weed multiple times in, in background pictures and how he raps and certain things and just insinuations of certain activities that just don't bode well for someone you want to necessarily be the face of your franchise until LaMelo is due for his max contract in a year or two. But I just, I, I personally don't think that Miles deserves 30, if not more than that, but it's Charlotte and I wouldn't be surprised if they give it to him. Well, I don't think that Charlotte's going to give Miles Bridges uh, a $30 million contract anymore. And the reason why is, is that Miles Bridges was arrested for felony domestic violence on Wednesday. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, yeah. The report just came up like 30 minutes ago. Yeah. He got into a physical altercation in LA. Uh, he turned himself into LAPD and uh, was released on $130,000 bond. So Yeah. Pretty much the way that I see it, this is going to be a relatively short part for me. Yeah, Miles Bridges is not getting uh, a max contract now. I can tell you that, that right changes now. my thing. It <laughs> Ch- changes my whole perspective on this. I, and, and the thing is, bro, w- when you were going through your whole analysis, like I was just looking up like Miles Bridges, and the first thing that pops up, bro, he got arrested. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And the fact that it's a felony domestic violence does not help either. So... Obviously, was it a bar fight or something? Did they did they disclose what happened? I'm reading the TMZ article right now, and all it says is there was an allegical there was an alleged physical altercation that happened on Tuesday. Law enforcement sources tell us a woman claims she was in an argument with Bridges that turned physical. Uh, we're told police were called to the scene, but Bridges was gone by the time the cops arrived. Uh, we're told the woman required medical attention. This is basically what the TMZ article has said. Um, there's really not much more than that, other than the fact that, uh, I think he was released on $130,000 bond. Um, obviously this is probably gonna have an impact on what happens this off season because, well, let's face it, Miles Richards was expecting a pretty big payday when it comes to a contract extension. 
And this definitely throws uh, some complications into the mix here. So I think when it comes to, to Miles Bridges, we, we kind of have to kind of wait and see on this one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially everything that I had planned when it came to my analysis, you could basically just throw out the window at this point. Because yeah. this Let's just chalk really the segment, honestly. Let's just chalk it. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, the funny thing is, it's like, you know, your reaction was priceless, though. <laughs> I dropped that bomb. Because honestly, I like it was funny because I was Google, I, I was Googling Miles Bridges, and this was the last thing that I was coming to see. So, That's obviously, it kind of goes along with basic the, the basic idea that you were mentioning about he was involved in some activities that would be uh, questionable, that would be frowned upon, and, and this is obviously probably another one where that is the case. But I think it just kind of goes with like what's going on in Charlotte, dude. Apparently, basketball is just a side hustle for some of these guys. I don't even know. I don't. I'm done. I wow. That like that. that wow. Anyway, what's 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 next? Because that that, that, that just that, that was a shocker. That was a shocker. Yeah, it just so, messed me up. All right. So up next, uh, we get to talk about Kev's team for a little bit. We got got to talk about the Dallas Mavericks, and it doesn't involve Jalen Brunson. So the Mavs are reportedly uh, in consideration about possibly picking up uh, Matisse Thybul and Gary Payton the second. Now, there's nothing substantial as far as, you know, they're actively pursuing these guys and there's already deals set in place. But there's been uh, some rumblings within Dallas's uh, front office from some of the beat writers that there's some interest uh, from their front office when it comes to Matisse Thybul of the 76ers and Gary Payton II with the Warriors who's coming off of a championship year with Golden State. Now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, just how do you assess the rumors of the Mavs possibly looking at Matisse Thybul and Gary Payton II this offseason. So I like where their head is at. I like the fact that they're thinking about defense. However, that doesn't necessarily mean we go and get a defensive person that is completely an offensive liability. Outside of hitting the occasional wide-open three in both players' situation, they do not necessarily have an offensive game. If I had to make a decision on one of them... I would probably want to go with Thibel because he's younger, only because Gary Payton II is, I think, 29 or going to be 30 this season. He's also known to be a high flyer. So, I mean, like that's good for Luka, but in terms of longevity, I don't know how long these deals would be. Um, I'd probably want a Thibel because he was voted, if I'm not mistaken, what, all-NBA third-team or second-team defense this season? And we know what he brings to the table when it terms when it when it comes to him guarding one of the best, if not the best player on the floor at the guard or the forward position. So we know what he can do. I just I would need to see the numbers. I would definitely need to see what's offered in terms of the contract length. But overall, um, I'm not a fan of signing them because we know what Dallas likes to do, and that is for sure try to force turnovers. But we like to shoot a lot of threes and. I don't. I to, to to have them on the floor is legit to me an offensive liability. They're not great free throw shooters, so I I will say that I don't like it right now. But if we get them for a steal, like a two year, fifteen million dollar deal at like seven million a year, I, I'm not going to be furious because they're going to be able to come onto the floor and immediately make an impact, especially in games that might be getting away from us. Because I don't think that either of them would start necessarily. Both of them would be coming off of the bench. Um. But yeah, no, I did. I'm I'm on the fence about this one. I don't like it, but I like it. You know what I mean? I think with me, I, I like Matisse Thibel a little bit more than Gary Payton the second, and it's kind of like what you outlined. I think the one thing that 
the Mavs really struggled with was just their overall rim protection this year. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I mean, the Mavs got all the way to the Western Conference Finals. And I don't think a lot of people were expecting that. So, you know, you got to give them kudos just to make it as far as they did getting to the Western Conference Finals. I, I, I like the fact that, you know, when I look at Matisse Thybul, he's 6'11". You know, obviously, they could use some depth. Is he, he is? Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking at his swing span. He's 6'5". I take that back. Everything that I just said about Matisse Thybul, I, I, I take away. I, get, I saw his wingspan. I've read the, I've read the wrong height. It happens. Read, it's midnight. It happens. Yeah. So uh, scratch that. It, I still kind of uh, I. Damn! I really got screwed up with that one. It's okay. <laughs> that, that, These mistakes that, happen. That that one kind of caught me off guard. I I looked at his wingspan first and not his height, but whatever the case may be. But honestly, I'm just gonna kind of roll with Kevin on this one. Uh, Kevin knows this team a lot better than, than I do. Um, but when it comes to the Mavs, if I really had to point to one thing that probably needs to improve a little bit more, and I think that's probably the one area that they're focused on here, it's probably improving their bench depth a little bit. Um, you could say, I mean, outside of Spencer Dinwiddie, they weren't really able to get a lot of great production off of their bench consistently. And there were multiple times where just the Mavs, I remember watching them during the playoffs where they would have great offensive quarters and then they'd literally fall apart where they just, they couldn't hit shots consistently. They were like, we're talking like 15, 20% from the field. So go cold, you know, maybe they're looking at a situation where they can improve their their bench depth with somebody like Matisse Thibel and Gary Payton, the second. So I mean, Gary Payton, the second is interesting. You know, he's coming off of a championship year with golden state. So, you know, maybe maybe they bring him in, maybe give him a look for a couple of years. Hopefully they don't overpay him in that regard. But I don't to think me, you I, can. I, 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 th- I think Dallas, I think they're focused on just probably improving their bench depth a little bit here outside of re-signing Jalen. I think Jalen is their top priority right now. And I think really when it comes to the Matisse Thibel and uh, the Gary Payton the second rumors. I I think that's more like their secondary concern at this point. I, I don't yeah. think their primary concern is Matisse Thibel. No, so. no, no, no. They they've said it publicly. Their their primary concern is getting Jalen back. Their primary concern is making sure that he is on the roster, and then whatever transpires afterwards is going to be whatever kind of follow suit. It's a matter of to me, if we lose Jalen, that better not be our free agent move. I know that we got Christian Wood, but again, as a Mavericks fan, if you're sitting here and we're looking at Matisse Thibel and Gary Payton II as our, well, we already lost him. Bro, there was a rumor that Tobias Harris was linked to the Kings. Go get Tobias Harris. Go get a big that can play solid D, give it 15 points, and can shoot efficiently from the three-point line. I will happily take him off of Philly's hands if they opt out or buy him out or whatever the situation may be. If it's a trade package, obviously, I'm, 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 I'm staying away from it because, once again, it's a matter of... We don't have the capital for that. Um, and if my memory serves, he signed a, a, a max extension about two or three seasons ago, and he's still on that contract. So it would have to be a trade. But anyway, that I'm just saying, if we lose Jalen, those two names better not be the first things that come off the board. That's all I'm saying. That's fair enough. That'd be a disappointment in your book. I know that. I'd be happy for the sake of, okay, Jason Kidd, we were a top 10 team in terms of total defense. They're going to add a different kind of intensity. 
and it would have to be for a very cheap price. One of them's coming off a championship. One of them's coming off of multiple all-pro defense years. So you're going to have to pay them a considerable, considerable amount of money regardless. I'm just not looking forward to seeing the banner come up on ESPN. Maverick signed blank for two years, $25 million. I'm like, bro, we're really paying you $12 million a year? Like, come on. I was kind of reminds you of the whole Bertans thing that happened last year. Remember? Okay, we started with that one, huh? $16 million a year to shit the bed. I just... Spencer worked out, though. Spencer worked out, and I ate my words, and I apologized for it. Correct. No, that was, uh, that was, that was big of you. Oh. Hey, we, something... we made it as far as we did. I can't sit here and critique him. And he showed up when he needed to. So, give him credit for that. Uh, but with that said, uh, we're going to transition into our last segment of night, and that is going to be uh, some MLB news, and we're going to focus on Freddie Freeman. Um, so the basic news in regards to Freddie Freeman at this point in time is he recently fired his agent. Now, this all stems from really issues that Freddie had with how his representation handled uh, the offseason uh, contracts between what the Braves were offering and what the Dodgers were offering. Going back in time a little bit, the Braves initially were offering Freddie Freeman a five-year deal of $130 million. And when Freddie Freeman's agent uh, was willing to hand out uh, proposals to the Braves front office, uh, they were well above the initial offer that the Braves had put on the table. The Braves had countered that proposal from his agent by bumping it up to $140 million. And essentially, Freddie's agent and the Braves front office came at an impasse and they went their respective ways. And then Freddie Freeman ended up signing a deal with the Dodgers, I think upwards. It was like a six-year deal of $160 million. But where the issue kind of took place here is that Freddie Freeman, I think, was looking at a situation where he was of the mindset that he wouldn't have minded going back to the Braves. However, the Braves had moved on based on the fact that his representation and the front office with Atlanta had went their separate ways. And then Matt Olson was signed by the Braves on an eight-year deal, upwards of $160 million, almost cracking $170 million. So essentially, all of this frustration from Freddie led to the result of Freddie firing his agent just the past couple of days. And this is just coming off of the heels where Freddie Freeman returned to Atlanta for the first time as a member of the Dodgers since coming off of the world series that the Braves had won last year, which he was a part of now, Kevin, to kick this one to you, what do you make of this issue that's been going on between Freddie Freeman and his agent in regards to how the contract disputes took place this off season with him? It's fishy. It's a business. We all know this. This is professional sports. We know that agents have percentages that come with these contracts. We know that agents have to get paid throughout all of these negotiations and all these different things. Now, I may be looking at this cynically, and I may be looking at this narrow-minded, but to me, for you to forget the offer that was on the table from Atlanta, for you to not to tell your client um, you know, the offer that was made to you from the team that I'm assuming that he made the preference and tr- decision to say, you know what, I, I, like Kyle said, I would not mind going back to Atlanta. We just won, blah, 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 whatever the situation may have been. 
I'm looking at this and I'm saying, there's no shot you forgot. There's no excuse you could make. Your literal job is to communicate offers and communication from all teams that are interested in your client. How is it that you don't or you fail to mention that Atlanta had given an offer and then pretty much just make the decision yourself to say he's not interested? To me, that seems grimy. And for those of you that are unaware, grimy is basically a word for shady, uh, you know, a word for conniving or just something's up, something's fishy in this situation. And, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, he would have gotten less money in Atlanta. I'm not saying he would have got more money in Atlanta. But for whatever reason, he sure as shit let him know that the Dodgers were interested. And when he got that big bag, I'm assuming that that agent probably got a nice fat payday, too. So I'm looking at this from a perspective of why didn't he tell him? What what was Atlanta offering that the agent forgot to tell Freddie? What was Atlanta saying that they were going to give him? that the agent found this a non-acceptable contract offer. I don't know. That's going to have to be kind of continued to be discussed. That's going to have to be a conversation and or, uh, you know, an internal review with with Freddie's camp about what the malicious, what, what intent did the agent have? Was it malicious? Was it genuine? Was it based off of greed? I don't know. I'm from where I'm from in New York and, and how I kind of think about life. I think that the agent was very selfish and potentially was looking out for himself. Maybe he thought that the market would be better in a city like LA for him. Maybe he thought that Freddie would make more money out there rather than Atlanta. I have no concept, but to me, something's fishy. And I think Freddie making the decision to fire that agent was a great call. Well, it kind of depends on the reports that we've seen in regards to Freddie over the last couple of days when it comes to his agent. So there was a Doug Gottlieb report that, that came out just recently um, that stated that Freddie Freeman wasn't told about the final offer from the Braves, which was that $140 million uh, for a five-year deal. Now that was what Doug Gottlieb had said. Now, supposedly, Freddie Freeman's former agent has rebuffed that claim, saying that it's false, that it's not true. So this is kind of a situation where it's like, well, is that true or is that true? He said, she said. Yeah. When I look at the situation with Freddie, I think he fired his representation just based off of, I don't even know if it's a lack of transparency. I just think that looking at the deal that he ended up getting compared to what he could have had with the Braves, I think it's actually going to be worse for Freddie in the long term with this deal with the Dodgers. And I'll kind of explain why. So when I look at the contract that he got from the Dodgers, it's more in as far as the money aspect goes. He got got a nice deal with the Dodgers. However, the one thing that you have to tie in with a member of the Dodgers is that you're living in California. And when you look at his contract specifically, there's almost $60 million on his contract. That's It's a deferred salary. And then you tie in that with all of the state taxes that come along with being a citizen of California. This is kind of an interesting, uh, really kind of plot twist when it comes to his contract. Because when you look at like Georgia, for example, he was going to get $140 million with a five-year deal with the Braves. But I don't know if it was necessarily going to come with this caveat of a, a deferred salary aspect of it and then you have to deal with all the the state taxes on top of that like you do in California you don't really have to worry about that in Georgia and I think 
I think when this happened in regards to the team that he loved, because let's face it, Freddie Freeman, despite the fact that he's a member of the Dodgers, he is 100% loyal to the Braves. He loves the Braves. He said he even wanted to finish his career as a member of the Atlanta Braves. And I think when he looked at the situation where I think he looked at his agent as, I don't, I don't want to say a sense of betrayal, but I think he looked at his agent saying, you didn't do your due diligence here. You didn't do your job in regards to how these contracts were, I guess, interpreted to him. So I think there's there's a there's really kind of a divide or there's kind of a misalignment of how Freddie saw these contract negotiations going. And I think when looking back at it, based on when Freddie made the initial signing with the Dodgers, I think it was of the mindset that that essentially like they weren't able to see eye to eye on a long term deal. But I think when when Freddie figured out the the numbers and the figures that were associated with the with a possible contract extension with the Braves, I think that's where it probably got a little bit sidetracked because I think I'm of the mindset that Freddie would have gone back to Atlanta on a hundred forty million dollar year uh, for a hundred forty million dollar contract with a five year extension on top of that instead of the one that he signed for six years with the Dodgers. Even if there's more money attached to the Dodgers, I think I think he's mad that his agent basically gave the Braves like a really tight deadline to work with. I was going over some of the reports and they were saying that essentially his agent only gave the Braves like an hour to respond to the proposals that he was putting on the table for his client. And then when they were not able to reach a deal, but they they got to an impasse. The agent just moved on to the next best suitor, which was probably the Dodgers. And I think when Freddie Freeman saw the deal that Matt Olson got after supposedly his agent and Atlanta had moved on from because there was an impasse between it, they couldn't see eye to eye on a contract extension. I think Freddie probably got mad about the fact that I think he felt a, li- a little, I-, I don't want to say slighted. I think he looked at the situation where it was like, you basically overlooked how I felt about the Braves. And that's how I kind of see it because I, I'm of the mindset that I, I don't think $20 million was like the main difference for bringing uh, Freddie Freeman over to the Dodgers. I, I still am of the mindset. I think he would have taken that $140 million a year contract with the Braves. Now, it really kind of depends on whether you believe the Doug Gottlieb report is true or not. And that's really kind of where, where things get complicated because apparently in that report from Gottlieb, he said that Freddie never heard that offer. Now, could that have kept Freddie Freeman in Atlanta? Potentially. I don't really know. But there's a lot of angles to the story that you can kind of interpret it one way or another. I'm of the mindset that I think Freddie would have taken that deal with Atlanta, but I don't think his agent uh, was transparent in that regard with him. And I think that's why Freddie was so frustrated that he ended up firing his agent over that. But that's just how I see it. I think it's justified. I have no qualm with it. I have no issue. I think it's 100% something that you have to look at and say, I would be in a different uniform. 
I wouldn't have had to uproot my family. Um, granted, you would have made a little bit less money, yes. But if you said publicly you were willing to take less to stay, then I don't think he would have minded that. I think he would have liked to run it back. And um, again, that whole concept of going from Atlanta all the way out to the West Coast, like that's moving, that's a new house, that's furniture. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a whole yeah. complication for Freddie and his family that he probably didn't want and definitely didn't need. But again, this is why I support what I said in the sense of, I think the agent knew what they were doing, and I think that he wanted another opportunity or a bigger opportunity for additional funds, a, a bigger cut of the pie. I don't know. Uh, I don't necessarily think that. I think, I think where the divide is between um, Freeman and his former representation is that I don't think they saw, I think they were misaligned on what Freddie actually wanted. I think that was the difference. I think maybe his agent was looking for like the biggest deal possible for him. And maybe that was the case. And maybe there necessarily wasn't the best transparency between Freeman and the agent on in that regard. And when he saw the difference, because I, I, cause I'm of the mindset that maybe Freeman never saw the offer. I'm assuming maybe he did with the initial one, but I think with the way that the, that the contract was set up with the Dodgers, with all this deferred salary nonsense, uh, upwards of like $60 million. And then, you know, you tie into the fact that, you know, California is not a cheap place to live compared to Georgia. You know, you tie those factors in together. You can make the case that he's going to make less money off of this than what he would have made with the, with the Braves. And that's the crazy part is that even though that the, money amount with the Dodgers contract is higher when you tie into the deferred salary part and the taxes along with that you compare that to the 140 million he would have potentially gotten with the Braves and not the caveat of the deferred salary and all the taxes that come along with it yeah he he could have even made more money and finished his career with the Braves in that regard and I think that's probably where the divide is it's like you said you had to uproot your entire family to move out to California to get that done and I think he was of the mindset like I would have taken 140 mil. I think that's I I think that's how he sees it. I, so I I don't know. Maybe maybe his client maybe his agent misrepresented him in this case, and you know fired him because of it, or misrepresented his stance on where he stood as far as contract negotiations. But yeah, I I, I mean don't get me wrong. You know you know players fire their agents. All the time. I mean, it's a common practice, no matter what sport you're in. But it seems like with this one, Freddie, I think, really probably wanted to stay there. And I don't think that his agent necessarily gave him the best representation to make that a possibility. And, that, and that's kind of how I see it. But interesting story, though. Interesting. Definitely something different. Yeah. But... With that said, uh, we've wrapped up all of our topics for the episode. Um, Kevin, I, I, I'll keep this one to you uh, to close us on out. Uh, the floor is yours on this one, bro. Yeah, um, I mean, guys, we say it every week. We appreciate the support from wherever we can get it. Kyle and I have a lot to talk about in the coming weeks. We have a lot planned. Um, we're definitely on the same page. I can happily say we love what we do. We appreciate all support from wherever it is. Um, but just look for some changes to be coming in the coming months. Um, we'll kind of allude to it a little bit more as time progresses, especially with my vacation starting tomorrow and Kyle starting the week after that. So um, 
Once again, we've been prepping you guys all summer or, you know, pretty much the last month or so. I'll be out till Monday. We probably will record Monday night. Hopefully, God willing, I'm good. Um, And then, of course, after that's done, then Kyle leaves right after that. So, again, just expect a couple of episodes here and there to be stagnant. But content's going to keep flowing. We're going to make sure that we have at least some TikToks, YouTube shorts coming up, just so we can continue to have things flowing for you. Uh, But outside of that, man, we're going to get out of here. So, again, thank you guys for everything, and we will be seeing you guys again soon. Yep. See you guys later. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid.